This is the Magellan Journal, a podcast series here to help you navigate EU opportunities. We remove the noise around current EU issues on different topics such as transport and environment, each time through the perspective of a different expert. In this episode, we talk to João Falco Cunha, Dean of the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Porto, which has quickly and successfully adapted to the new situation of studying, teaching and learning from home. Hello, João, and thank you for joining us in this podcast. Uh, could you briefly present yourself and the position you are currently covering at the University of Porto? Well, good uh, afternoon or good morning, depending on uh, the time you are listening. I'm the Dean of the School of Engineering of the University of Porto. We have at the School of Engineering about 8,000 students, around 1,000 professors and researchers, and about 300 technical staff in many departments, research units, lecturing in different, many different programs, both undergraduate and postgraduate. My expertise area has been in information systems and service management, and also on intelligent transport systems. I've been working in this area for uh, over 20 years. I've also launched two spin-off companies in intelligent transport systems and the internet business. I've been involved in uh, several research projects international, and I also created the Council for Sustainable Development at Phil, my school, uh, regarding environment, economy, and social aspects. Okay, so as Dean of the Engineering University of Porto, in your opinion, which are and which were the main challenges that an educational institution faced in this period and is still facing during this COVID-19 crisis? Well, I, I think the most important thing was to keep active all learning, research and innovation processes and uh, making people adapt. This was the first uh, that's a challenge and I think we managed to do it. And then not leaving anyone alone. So we also supported the people with less experience or less on, or with, without resources like fragile students in particular. And then it's being creative in the solutions adopt and adapting to the new context. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is very important also. So you mentioned that you helped, for example, fragile students to adapt. Can you, can you give an example? What, what does this exactly mean? And who are, in your opinion, fragile students? Well, we have many international students who many of them might be alone in this situation at home. So we created a voluntary group of students and staff that would contact them and would help them. This was one of the initiatives. We also make sure that anyone who didn't have computer equipment or good internet connections will lend them the required equipment, for instance. Uh, We keep a psychological helpline open for anyone who needs. We have this here at Phil with the two psychologists that could help and they moved into online and mobile on phone help. Okay, that's very thoughtful, these initiatives that you've done to, to support uh, the students. So this pandemic situation has promoted the rapid adoption of a new way of working. Would you consider this new approach more efficient uh, than before, also in the long term? 
I think we have the right tools, like the one we are using. We also require and have been heavily used Moodle, which is a collaborative platform for education. And also, I think it's very important to have beforehand experience of remote interaction and good social connections, and a positive attitude to change. I think this was helped by the leaders that have given example at all levels from students. We collaborated a lot with the student union to make sure students were involved in the process. But different levels of the departments, of the technical central services of the faculty, this was important also. And so I think we can become more efficient in the future if we learn to keep the things that are good and uh, are not insisting things that are not good. Yeah, I agree. So you mentioned that you worked for many years and that your expertise is in intelligent transport systems. Transport is one of the sectors suffering deeply from this corona crisis. In such context, how is the new way of, of smart working, so remote working, able to make mobility safer and more sustainable? Well, I think this is a, an area where uh, this crisis can tell us a lot about our habits. And we have to use better the infrastructure we have in a more sustainable way regarding the environment, regarding the economy, and regarding the social aspects of inclusiveness. I think, in particular, the public transport infrastructure can be improved, and we can use it less if we do more work remotely. This can mean from home or from places where we can work near our home instead of traveling so much. And we have to use it in a more distributed way. I think we have a lot of capacity that is not being used. For instance, we use it a lot during weekdays and during peak times, but not during the rest of the time. So I think we have to use it better. There are many ways of doing this, but we, I think we should involve more the working organizations in supporting the traveling of the employees, of the people who work there, by being more intelligent in the way they ask people to be present. So if mm -hmm. companies are uh, requiring, for instance, or organizations have to think about the costs of traveling and the time spent on traveling, perhaps they can use better both the company time and the people who work for the company's time as well. And that can have a positive reflect on the environment and on the economy and the transport infrastructure. And I'm meaning not only the infrastructure, like metro, rail, buses, but also bicycles, also the mm -hmm. shared cars, perhaps it's a better way of using cars. And I think this can be done with both incentives, positive incentives and negative incentives. Like, yeah. uh, well, I could stay one hour speaking about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is interesting about incentives. So maybe you can explain what kind of incentives well, could this be? Yeah. I'll, I'll use an example from an area of the economy that is now completely or almost completely grounded. 
which is air traffic. Planes were busy almost 24 hours a day and seven days a week. So airplanes never stopped. And they were more expensive probably when people wanted to travel and less expensive when people didn't want to travel. But yeah. overall, planes were always full, so were used to capacity. Of course, they have to adapt to rules. For instance, the landing and takeoff and landing in airports uh, that were close to cities could not be allowed during the night or during some most mm -hmm. of the night periods. So perhaps we could apply the same rules to other types of transport, making sure that the infrastructure is more used when it's not used in the past and less used when it was overused in the past. So we need not to increase capacity for allowing peak times or not to have the system organized to respond to peak time, but change habits so the transport infrastructure is more evenly used. And a way of doing this could be by more remote work. Of course, not everyone can do remote work. For, yeah. for instance, gardeners cannot do remote work. Yeah, but we can sort of dilute these peak hours so we don't have peak hours anymore and it's more evenly distributed. This all depends on remote working and we already now see a lot of surveys online how 80-90% of workers want to continue working from home after the crisis and so on. So people have taken that quite positively in some ways. They say they have more time to organize their own time, to spend more time with family or friends, maybe not yet, but they can distribute their day more evenly and save on the time that they spend on commuting. In this way, a culture of trust is also strengthened between the companies and the employees. There is a different way of management appearing that makes, let's say, micromanagement and the necessity of being physically present obsolete. Do you consider such an aspect a positive conclusion from this change? It's, it's something definitely uh, and absolutely important is to trust the people we work with in all directions. So people who, who are leading a group must trust the people who work with him and the, the people who work need to trust the leaders and need to trust also the colleagues that are working. So I think that's a, an important I would say social characteristic to have a good uh, remote work capability. And I think that is definitely true. And uh, we have to work more on how to improve trust. And mm -hmm. that is an important challenge. And I think this crisis has shown us that we are used to trust less than we should. But uh, we have to learn uh, new things on how to manage our way of living in this, in this way. Even if the crisis finishes, I think we have to, to manage ourselves better and manage the others better. So you think it's realistic to think about a better society after this tremendous crisis? Yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm uh, mostly an optimist and I think we always learn from our mistakes and we learn from difficult experiences and that as a group we can develop new and better solutions to what uh, we are facing. I think we can be more efficient in managing many meetings. We can be developing a more sustainable society, more sustainable companies 
And uh, there is also something that we are, must be very well concerned is with freedom, because we can see that uh, there are people who perhaps believe that losing freedom improves safety and security. But I, I, in, this, in this case, I, I'm a very, very defensor of the open society. And I remember something Karl Popper mentioned in his book, This Open Society and Its Enemies, is that we must plan for freedom and not only for security. If for no other reason, then only freedom can make security more secure. As a university and something that and someone that some people and people who have the responsibility to change the world for better, I think we cannot only think about security, we also have to think about freedom. And as engineers, educating young people to become engineers, I believe that it's not only technical education we must provide, it's education on citizenship. And I think freedom probably, for me, it's more important than security. Of course, security and safety is important and we have to be careful, but we cannot trade one for the other. That's my view and I think it's the view that uh, I would like to uh, be shared by most of the people who work with me and so this is i would say i guess your lesson learned from this current situation as dean of the university do you want to share any lessons learned from your personal point of view well i also learned that uh, it seems that i am less in group activities or social activities so in a way i'm more lonely because most often when i go home i cannot go for a restaurant on the weekend or during the day so I, I'm focusing on learning to enjoy life without some activities that I, I value more now. Mm-hmm. But for instance, I'm doing things that I didn't uh, uh, used to do often, which is like cooking or ironing. And this means we all can share our homework at home. I'm learning this uh, <laughs> again. <laughs> so about... Thank you very much, uh, Joao, for answering our questions and for joining our podcast and for giving us the perspective of the changes that the educational system has been going through. I wish you a nice day and thank you for calling us. Thank you very much for your work. If you like this podcast and want to know more about Magellan, check out our website at www.magellan-association.org. And hear you soon.